Episode 49. The village is getting dressed. Hairdressers trim her bows, her sparkly baubles gently hooked by devoted, serious-faced hard workers. A glow-up. Greetings and welcome in to the Patuxet General. I am your host, Jess. This week is super exciting. Not only are we continuing on with our pie-palooza, but we also have a purple martini and a submitted tiny story. Not to mention a continuing reading of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. But first, we have to thank our Patreon subscribers. These holiday-minded people are the apples, spices, maple syrup, raisins, and crust that makes up the Patuxa General, without whom we would merely be minced meat. So thank you. If you would like to be one of these beloved folk, look for us on Patreon.com or merely follow the links in the show notes. Let's chat about what's going on around town. This just in. While I was walking through the village the other day, I came across a schedule of events planned in Patuxet Park, put out by the friends of PatuxetVillage.org. The holiday season opens in our village on Saturday, December 3rd, 2022. From noon till 3, the Patuxet Baptist Church will have an arts and crafts event for children and families. Cider, hot chocolate, and snacks. Free, all are welcome. From noon to 5, participating village businesses and eateries will offer special discounts and holiday menus all day. From 2.30 to 4.45... You can visit with Santa and enjoy some hot cocoa at Real Pro by the Water, 2202 Broad Street. From 3.30 to 5 p.m., join the Pilgrim High School Alumni Choral as they stroll in and out of businesses singing Christmas carols and then follow them to Patuxet Park for a community sing-along. And at 5.30 p.m., the lighting of the village Christmas tree and luminaries in Patuxet Park. Children, bring a food item to donate to a local pantry and sit with Santa inside the gazebo. For more details, go to www.friendsofpatuxentvillage.org. I hope that I will see you there, and stay tuned for future holiday season updates soon to come. Mince Meat for Pie This recipe is essential for any pie-palooza. This particular recipe comes courtesy of the Pioneer Valley Association and the Massachusetts Department of Food and Agriculture. They say that mincemeat was a way of preserving meat in the days before refrigeration. In early New England, the neck of the deer was often used to make mincemeat and a liberal flavoring of brandy added. This is a filling recipe, and it could be used in any shell, uh, like the one used in episode 48, which holds up well in a two-crust pie in a pan. Or you could use the freestanding pie crust from episode 50. Wait, what? Oh, yeah, that's next week. Well, for this filling, you will need one and a half quarts ground beef, four and a half quarts chopped apples, one quart of water in which the meat was cooked, one and a half pounds raisins, one and a half quarts maple syrup, ten teaspoons cinnamon, that's right, I said ten teaspoons, two teaspoons pepper, two teaspoons salt, four teaspoons cloves, four teaspoons nutmeg. Combine it in a pot and cook over low heat until the apples are soft and the mixture is quite thick. Either can, freeze, or make into 12 pies. Note to my pals, 
I would cook this in between two crusts at 350 degrees for 50 minutes or until the crust is lightly brown. Are you thirsty? How about a berry berry martini? Here we are starting the holiday season, and while we set up, now would be a good time to lay in some lovely cocktail ingredients to carry you through any loved ones dropping by while you decorate. Everything is shelf-stable except the blueberries, but those are easy to keep in the fridge. The look is very dramatic and tastes lovely while giving a good punch. For this drink, you will need one lovely good-sized martini glass, a shaker filled with ice, two ounces blueberry vodka, one half ounce Chambord, one half ounce triple sec, one half ounce cranberry juice, and blueberries for garnish. Add all of your ingredients except the blueberries to the shaker full of ice and give it a really good shake. Strain into a chilled martini glass. Then drop a few blueberries and mwah, two minutes to make on the fly and your guests will feel spoiled and hopefully, well, enjoy. Next, I have a tiny story by Piper V. It always started in silence and then a soft click. So soft, I often wondered if I imagined it. Hours later, a knock on the door. Nobody there, but a box with my name on it. A brand new jackknife inside one time, an axe another time. But even more disturbing, once it was a box of sympathy cards. It became so that when I heard the knock on the door, I would jump. A rope that time. Candles the next, on and on. Finally, after weeks of frightening deliveries, I thought I might go mad when the last package came. Terrified, I sat it in front of me, this thick envelope. Opening it, I gasp when I find a funeral planning package, to which Alexa responds, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear that. I'll keep listening. I want to tell you about my friend Mike and his Electromagnetic Pinball Museum and Restoration Arcade. It's an all-inclusive place to relax and share anything related to modern pinball, EM pinball, and arcade games. A group of pinball and arcade fans with an addiction to games of all kinds and Lego too. $10 gets you free play on pinball and arcade games all day. You can find them at 881 Main Street, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, or online at www.electromagneticpinballmuseum.com. And now for a continued reading of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. We rejoin our reading where we left off, halfway through Stave 3. By this time it was getting dark and snowing pretty heavily, and as Scrooge and the Spirit went along the streets, the brightness of the roaring fires in kitchens, parlors, and all sorts of rooms was wonderful. Here, the flickering of the blaze showed preparations for a cozy dinner with hot plates baking through and through before the fire and deep red curtains ready to be drawn to shut out cold and darkness. There, all the children of the house were running out into the snow to meet their married sisters, brothers, cousins, aunts, uncles, and be the first to greet them. Here again were shadows on the window blind of guests assembling, and there a group of handsome girls, all hooded and fur-booted, all chattering at once, tripped lightly off to some near neighbor's house, where, woe upon the single man who saw them enter, artful witches well they knew it, in a glow. 
But if you had judged from the numbers of people on their way to friendly gatherings, you might have thought that no one was at home to give them a welcome when they got there. Instead of every house expecting company and piling up its fires half chimney high, blessings on it, how the ghost exalted, how it bared the breath of its breast, and opened its capricious palm, and floated on, outpouring with a generous hand, its bright and harmless mirth on everything within its reach. The very lamplighter who ran on before, dotting the dusky streets with specks of light, and who was dressed to spend the evening somewhere, though little kenned the lamplighter that he had any company but Christmas. And now, without a word of warning from the ghost, they stood upon a bleak and desert moor, where monstrous masses of rude stone were cast about, as though it were the burial place of giants, and water spread itself wherever it listed, or would have done so, but for the frost that held it prisoner. And nothing grew but moss and furs and coarse, rank grass. Down in the west the setting sun had left a streak of fiery red, upon which glowed the desolation for an instant, like a sullen eye, a frowning lower, lower yet, was lost into the thick gloom of the darkness night. "'What place is this?' asked Scrooge. "'A place where miners live, who labor in the bowels of the earth,' returned the spirit. "'But they know me, see?' A light shone from the window of a hut, and swiftly they advanced towards it. Passing through the wall of mud and stone, they found a cheerful company assembled around a glowing fire. An old, old man and woman, with their children and their children's children, and another generation beyond that, all decked out gaily in their holiday attire. The old man, in a voice that seldom rose above the howling of the wind upon the barren waste, was singing them a Christmas song. It had been a very old song when he was a boy, and from time to time they all joined in in the chorus. So surely as they raised their voices, the old man got quite blithe and loud, and so surely as they stopped, his vigor sank again. The spirit did not tarry here, but bade Scrooge hold his robe, and passing on above the moor sped whither? Not to see. To see. To Scrooge's horror looking back, he saw the last of the land, a frightful range of rocks behind them and his ears were deafened by the thundering of water as it rolled and roared and raged among the dreadful caverns it had worn and fiercely tried to undermine the earth. Built upon a dismal reef of sunken rocks, some league or so from shore, on which the waters chafed and dashed the wild year through, there stood a solitary lighthouse. Great heaps of seaweed clung to its base, and storm-birds, born of the wind one might suppose, as seaweed of the water, rose and fell about it, like the waves they skimmed. But even here, two men who watched the light had made a fire, that through the loophole in the thick stone wall shed out a ray of brightness on the awful sea. Joining their horny hands over the rough table at which they sat, they wished each other Merry Christmas in their can of grog, and one of them, the elder too, with his face all damaged and scarred like hard weather, as the figurehead of an old ship might be, struck up a sturdy song that was like a gale in itself. Again the ghost sped on, above the black and heaving sea, on and on, until, being far away, as he told Scrooge, from any shore, they lighted on a ship. 
They stood beside the helmsman at the wheel and look out on the bow, the officers who had the watch, dark, ghostly figures in their several stations, but every man among them hummed a Christmas tune or had a Christmas thought or spoke below his breath to his companion of some bygone Christmas day with wayward hopes belonging to it. And every man on board, waking or sleeping, good or bad, had had a kinder word for another on that day than any other day in the year, and had shared to some extent in its festivities, and had remembered those he cared for at a distance, and had known that they had delighted to remember him. It was a great surprise to Scrooge, while listening to the moaning of the wind, and thinking what a solemn thing it was to move on through the lonely darkness over an unknown abyss, whose depths were secrets as profound as death. It was a great surprise to Scrooge, while thus engaged, to hear a hearty laugh. It was a much greater surprise to Scrooge to recognize it as his own nephew's and to find himself in a bright, dry, gleaming room with the spirit standing, smiling by his side and looking at that same nephew with approving affability. "'Ha-ha!' laughed Scrooge's nephew. "'Ha-ha-ha!' "'If you should happen, by any unlikely chance, "'to know a man more blessed in a laugh than Scrooge's nephew, "'all I can say is, I should like to know him too. "'Introduce him to me, and I'll cultivate his acquaintance. "'It is a fair, even-handed, noble adjustment of things, "'and while there is infection and disease and sorrow, "'there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious "'as laughter and good humor. "'When Scrooge's nephew laughed in this way, holding his sides, rolling his head, and twisting his face into the most extravagant contortions. Scrooge's niece, by marriage, laughed as heartily as he, and their assembled friends, being not a bit behind-handed, roared out lustily, Ha ha ha! He said that Christmas was a humbug, as I live, cried Scrooge's nephew. He believed it too. More shame for him, Fred, said Scrooge's niece indignantly. Bless those women, they never do anything by halves, they're always in earnest. She was very pretty, exceedingly pretty, with a dimpled, surprised-looking capital face, a ripe little mouth that seemed made to be kissed, and no doubt it was. All kinds of good little dots about her chin that melted into one another when she laughed, and the sunniest pair of eyes you ever saw in the little creature's head. Altogether, she was what you would have called provoking, you know, but satisfactory, too. Oh, perfectly satisfactory. He's a comical old fellow, said Scrooge's nephew. That's the truth, and not so pleasant as he might be. However, his offenses carry their own punishment, and I have nothing to say against him. I'm sure he is very rich, Fred, hinted Scrooge's niece. At least you always tell me so. What of that, my dear, said Scrooge's nephew. His wealth is of no use to him. He doesn't do any good with it. He doesn't make himself comfortable with it. He hasn't the satisfaction of thinking <laughs> that he is ever going to benefit us with it. Well, I have no patience with him, observed Scrooge's niece. Scrooge's niece's sisters and all the other ladies expressed the same opinion. Oh, I have, said Scrooge's nephew. I am sorry for him. I couldn't be angry with him if I tried. Who suffers by his ill whims? Himself, always. Here he takes it into his head to dislike us, and he won't come to dine with us. What's the consequence? He doesn't lose much of a dinner. Indeed, I think he loses a very good dinner, interrupted Scrooge's niece. Everyone else said the same, and they must be allowed to have been competent judges because they just had had dinner. 
and with the dessert upon the table, were clustered around the fire by lamplight. Well, I'm very glad to hear it, said Scrooge's nephew, because I haven't great faith in these young housekeepers. What do you say, Topper? Topper had clearly got his eye upon one of Scrooge's niece's sisters, for he answered that a bachelor was a wretched outcast who had no right to express an opinion on the subject. Whereas Scrooge's niece's sister, the plumplum with the lace tucker, not the one with the roses, blushed. Do go on, Fred, said Scrooge's niece, clapping her hands. He never finishes what he begins to say. He's such a ridiculous fellow. Scrooge's nephew reveled in another laugh, and as it was impossible to keep the infection off, though the plump sister tried hard to do it with an aromatic vinegar, his example was unanimously followed. I was only going to say, said Scrooge's nephew, that the consequence of his taking a dislike to us and not making merry with us is, as I think, that he loses some pleasant moments which could do him no harm. I'm sure he loses pleasanter companies than he has find in his own thoughts, either in his moldy old office or his dusty chambers. I mean to give him some chance every year, whether he likes it or not, for I pity him. He may rail at Christmas till he dies, but he can't help thinking better of it. I defy him if he finds me going there in a good temper year after year and saying, Uncle Scrooge, how are you? Even if it only puts him in the vein to leave his poor clerk 50 pounds. That's something. I think I shook him yesterday. It was their turn to laugh now at the notion of his shaking Scrooge, but being thoroughly good-natured and not caring for what they laughed at. So they laughed at any rate. He encouraged them in their merriment and passed the bottle joyously. After tea, they had some music, for they were a musical family and knew what they were about. When they sung a glee or catch, I can assure you, especially Topper, could growl away in any bass like a good one and never swell the large veins in his forehead or get rid in the face over it. Scrooge's niece played well upon the harp and played, among other tunes, a simple little air, a mere nothing, you might learn to whistle it in two minutes, which had been familiar to the child who fetched Scrooge from the boarding school, as he had been reminded by the ghost of Christmas past. When this strain of music sounded, all the things the ghost had shown him came upon his mind. He softened more and more and thought if he could have listened to it often years ago, he might have cultivated the kindness of life for his own happiness with his own hands, without resorting to the sexton spade that buried Jacob Marley. Once again, for joining us today at the PG. If you would like to find out more about our pop-up general store, have a question, or dare I say, ghost story, please contact us. Our email is jess at patuxetgeneral.com. We can't wait to hear from you. But until then, I'll meet you right back here next time at the Patuxet General. A Something for Posterity production. Pre-recorded in Patuxet.